And they actually even had jobs, you know, that it talks about within their dominion. They had a specific job, right? That, what was Adam's job? To name the animals, right? It's kind of cool. It would be kind of easy, right, if that was just our job and we knew that was our job. So people had a specific job, it seems like, in the kingdom. Um, the first job was just naming the animals, which was a very important role even then. Uh, but would have been kind of cool just to name the animals. I don't know how they came up with some of the animals' names or whatever, you know, but... But, uh, but he, he did that. That was his job. Uh, and so he had a very specific job within the kingdom. But God's kingdom, if you look at it in Revelation, actually kind of, mim not mimics, expands the Garden of Eden. Uh, it, it, it goes further than that. So Revelation actually kind of looks like the Garden of Eden to some degree. You go back to this place where there's like this river and there's this tree of, uh, of life that's still there. And, and God just expands this thing and it looks bigger. So we get a good kind of picture of what it is. So what is it about the kingdom that makes the kingdom of God the kingdom of God? What are some things you think? Just name them out. What? The fruits of the Spirit will definitely be there. Like there, it seems like this, this thing in the kingdom, got a little dance music, uh, the, the things of the kingdom are... are it mentions a, a few things over and over, specifically in the New Testament. There's like, there's healing that takes place in the gospel of the kingdom. There's like no more sickness, right? There's, in the, in the gospel of the kingdom, it seems like politically there's no more politicians. It's just Jesus. Amen. And so, amen. That's right. <laughs> Hallelujah. No more politicians. And that's why I do not like politicians because I'm living in the kingdom now. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and they won't be there. They'll just be one guy making all the rules. And the good thing about it is, is he's a really good rule maker. Uh, and so he'll be, he'll be the one just establishing justice in a place. So justice will be completely established. So there'll be no more sickness or death. There'll be no more uh, corruption taking place. There'll be perfect justice. And, and then Satan won't be in that kingdom, right? We'll, we'll no longer see Satan, whereas even in the garden, we see Satan kind of getting in there. We know Satan is actually passed out of that place. And so you have the establishing, the establishment and revelation of the fullness of the kingdom. The tough part is, is we don't see that completely here, right? But we know that God is establishing partial, at least, that here in this place. That the Lord wants to see his kingdom being established. That's what he came proclaiming all the time, is that he wants his kingdom established in this place. First Corinthians 13 kind of alludes to this and even speaks to kind of what's going on in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there. Uh, and then we'll get into Joshua. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and you probably know it well, 12 and, 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, so now faith Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So we kind of get an understanding, if you can go back to 12, of what's going on here in this world. Why do we not have the fullness of the kingdom here? Why has God just not come down, kicked some butt, and taken over and said, like, I'm here, this place? Or why has he not fully established himself within the church? And it's partially just because that now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we... Well, but then we'll see face to face. We'll know now we know in part, but then we will fully, uh, just as I also have been fully known. So, 
So there's this, just this idea that now only partial will be established. Just a part is going to be established. It doesn't mean we're exempt from not seeing the kingdom established, but all, this partial is going to be established. So it's not fully going to be established here in this place. But when Jesus does come on the scene, he fully establishes his kingdom in a place. Now, this dimly part is what's hard, right? That's the, that's the hard part. Is, is why don't we go into the place where we see Jesus and God's kingdom fully being established? And, and why don't we understand all the different dynamics of that? Why don't we understand how this all, all works together and put together and how it's going to finish and end up? That's really the hard part. But at the, the same time, that's the part where we get to kind of live this thing out in faith and see Jesus glorified in the end. And so, and so the... Where a lot of Christians end up is just like the Israelites in that they live in the world of dimly. You know, what I mean by that is they live in this world where they only see the partial. And yet, the Lord wants to move them into the abundance. Here's, here's the thing. The Lord moved them out of Egypt, right? And he took them out of out of bondage. He freed them. He set them free. But did he say that's where they were supposed to stop? Right? Did he say that's where they were supposed to stop? No. What did, what did he have for them? He had the promised land for them, right? He didn't say that they were actually supposed to stop in the gospel of transformation. They weren't supposed to stop in just being set free from bondage of their sins. He actually wanted them to move through and keep on pushing through to the, to the gospel of the kingdom. He wanted them to push into the promised land. So it wasn't God's will that they would actually stay in the land of transformation. He wanted them to move into the promises the life of abundance that he had intended for them. And so, so many Christians end up falling in the same place that the Israelites were. They stay in that place of, I'm free from my bondage, but I never move into the place of abundance. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that, can, that, can be, that can be a little bit scary language because sometimes we get a little bit nervous about that. I'm not talking about um, prosperity gospel, right? I'm talking about... I'm talking about what does the Lord intend for you? And so Joshua starts to really, the book of Joshua really starts to work through that stuff and really gives us a clear picture of what it is to really move into this place. So turn to the book of Joshua. And I want you to see it um, as the Lord is establishing them. And I want you to see, I just got three points for tonight and I'll be done. And, and so let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would make this clear of what it is to move out of the place of bondage and move into the promises that you have for us, Lord. I pray that we would move into that place of abundance, that this life wouldn't be just constantly dealing with ourselves, maybe, but we actually uh, minister to the Lord, that we become a church that really gets to dive into the things of the Lord. We get to kind of lay down our lives and just and say, it's yours, Lord. And, and in that place, we get to really step into this abundant life that you have intended for us. This life that's uh, 
can be really exciting, can be really tough, can be really hard, can be really um, seem fruitless at times and extremely fruitful at other times, Lord. <coughs> can sometimes uh, seem hard, but is always full of joy. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us more of an idea, um, especially, as, I know I say this a lot, especially as Americans, what it is to really step into a, an abundant life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Joshua is getting ready. The people of, um, is it hot here? Is it a little hot? Um, I'm a little hot. Yeah, so, I'm just hot. Wow, it's my eyebrows, right? Um, they're actually on fire. They're swelling a little bit. They're a little swollen. Um, so Joshua is just, Moses has just died. Moses has just died, and, and at this point, the people seem almost, were, were a little bit caught off guard, not caught off guard by it, but they're kind of, as you might imagine, their leader had just died, and now they're, they're bringing in Joshua, and Joshua seems a little bit nervous about this at first, but, uh, but he really starts to embrace the role as he goes along with it, and it's, it's really neat to see what the Lord's doing in his life. But Joshua, we're going to use Joshua himself as a person of what it is to actually begin to walk into these promises that the Lord has for him. So one says this, verse one, says, after the death of Moses, the servant, and they're standing at the banks of the Jordan right now. They're waiting. They're right before it. They can see it. They can smell it. They can taste it. They can see those big old grapes. They can see the land that's like flowing with milk and honey. They're ready. They know just imagine that they're ready to move into that place. They had been in a place of wilderness where their affections uh, had been tested. The Lord had weeded out the people that weren't for him. They're standing right there before it, ready to move into that place of promise. What is it like to move into that place of promise? Just to be in that place of just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they finally are there ready to move in. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, into the people of Israel. So he's right there, and Moses dies, and Joshua, this is really important, I think you can skip over it if, if, you do, if you're not like kind of reading it, I think this is really important, and really important to us. Stepping into the promises of God. Joshua was becoming who he was meant to be. Joshua was becoming who the Lord intended him to be. And so that sounds really simple, but there's a lot of weight to it if you actually want to step into the land of abundance. Because without Moses' death, Joshua may have actually just spent this time trying to, trying to be like Moses. Trying to be something he's not. The people are going to be looking at him like he's, like he's supposed to be like Moses. But that always ends up setting you up for failure in the end. And in fact, what I believe God says about your life, and this hasn't hit me until recently, but if you want to step into the abundant life, you've actually got to be you. You've actually got to be you. Now that sounds weird to say, you be you. Uh, but here's the thing. Most of us strive for other identities. Most of us spend all our time being, being something that we think some image of what people want us to be. 
Some of us spend some time just trying to be uh, uh, some image that is put before us in, in the world. Maybe, you know, like, um, I don't know who's popular now, maybe Tom Cruise, maybe. I don't know. Is he real popular? He's not a popular one. No? Okay. All right. So, not Tom Cruise, maybe. He's got a new movie coming out, right? Um, he's at least semi-popular. Uh, you know. Uh, I don't know. Whoever you want to be, you know, it, it, it's not you. And so, and so the Lord actually wants you to put aside all those images. If you want to actually step into the life of abundance, you need to actually become who you are meant to be. And so David would say it this way, like what the Lord would say, 139, Psalms 139, you don't need to turn there. Can you just, um, 139, I think, 13, is that right? 139, 15, it talks about David as just being even knit together in his, is it not going to come up? I'll read it. What verse? Um, 13, I believe. I may have said that wrong. It says, y'all all know it probably. It talks about, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And then 14, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully are your works and my soul knows it very well. So, um, and, and Oh yeah, in 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. So you can stop there. So there's something about you that was specifically made by God. Like God made you in a specific way, in a specific order. Like um, there's certain parts of my body that I don't even like. But then I've got to come to the understanding that Jesus actually made me that way. And he made me in my, in my mother's womb that way. And my personality is, is I don't know, you're laughing at some uh, shape of my body, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but, but that the Lord even made my personality in certain ways. The Lord made my, my soul to act in a certain way. The Lord has given me certain personality quirks. The Lord has developed me in some ways. Even you, Michelle, he's made you like you that you're supposed to be. And you're supposed to be you. And and the thing about it is, that's a good thing. Some people may disagree, but that's a good thing. (laughs) Michelle, we all love you. No, I am way too sarcastic. I don't think the Lord made me that way. But if you don't become who who you are meant to be, you won't actually step into the land of promise. Because the Lord has specifically made you in a certain way. It even takes it as far as your sanctification, because this the word sanctification is important um, in the Christian's walk, in the Christian's walk. And I think it means more about becoming who you were meant to be than actually what we think it is sometimes. The word sanctification, God says, and I'm 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, 7, it says that God's will is for you to be sanctified. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but into sanctification. For God has called us for the purpose of, not, not for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, even think about it this way. The word sanctification means, it does mean like holy, set apart. It means you're set apart for something. 
But the word sanctification actually means something even more than that. Like, if you look at the Greek definitions of it, it's actually, the word sanctification is, you are becoming who God intends you to be, and set apart for his use. And impurity, impurity is not even as much, when we think about impurities, impurity is not being who God has called you to be. God has not called you to be impure. He has called you to be sanctified, to be who you, he intended you to be because you are his craftsmanship, his master artwork. And, and in that, he's called you to be who you're supposed to be. And so your sanctification process, if you're struggling with who am I, who am I supposed to be, you know, like what is, what is my life supposed to be like, <coughs> that is only found through your sanctification process. That's only found if you actually work through that process and really begin to diligently ask the creator of yourself, how am I supposed to function? It's really a simple example, but like when I tell teenagers, when I talk to teenagers about like ungodliness, ungodliness is just like, think of me as the creator of the vacuum. I don't know. Whatever, I just created the vacuum. I am the, I'm the maker of a vacuum. And somebody takes a vacuum and he tries to, and turns it on and tries to say, this would be a good boat motor, right? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work very well. Ungodliness is just taking things that aren't meant for a specific use and trying to use them that way. That's what ungodliness is. And so when we, when we try to, uh, when we step outside of God's intentions of how things are made, it's ungodly. And so God has intended you to use your body in certain ways, to your personality in certain ways. All those different things is, is what God has called you to. It's going to start to begin to move you into the abundant life. The second thing, this is really important as well. Go over to this land, the Jordan. This is back in 1 verse 2. And I am giving them to you, a people of Israel. 3 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised Moses. From the wilderness and, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. <coughs> Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. So, the, the, the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God was in the hands of, was in the hands of uh, Adam and Eve. In a, in a very real sense, God had turned over the authority to them. And when they, they sinned, what they did is they took the title deed to the dominion of this world and they turned it over to Satan. So they took the title deed of, of, of the authority of this world. Now, that, that was all, I, I don't know how the theological stuff works out. John would know better than I would. But that I, I don't know how all that stuff works out in terms of God's sovereign grace and allowing, allowing the enemy to do that and allowing man to do that. He works it all out. But in God's sovereign grace, he allowed man to actually turn over that title deed to the, to the ruler of this world for a period of time, Satan. 
And, and God is actually claiming back the kingdom for himself. And what he says is, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So here's, here's the second part of moving into the kingdom. Seeing the gospel of the kingdom begin to be fulfilled. Is take the sole of your feet places. Take your feet places. Sounds real easy, right? See, God had gone before him and had blazed the trail. All they had to do was take steps of faith. Steps of faith. The Lord would give them whatever their feet would touch. Whatever their soles of their feet went, the Lord would give. Now here's the interesting thing about the Israelites. They had all this before them. They had this whole territory before them. How much did they take? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? Yeah, how much did they conquer? Out, the yeah. There. Yeah. About 50%? less than that. It was like maybe 20%. Mm -hmm. Maybe 20% at the most. They only took out a small portion of what the Lord intended them to actually do. They lived a very small bit of this abundant life that the Lord actually intended for them. Mark 3, 27 and 28, y'all know it because we preached it right before. He talks about the strong man, and the strong man has plundered things for himself. And, the, and Jesus, through the forgiveness of sins, would actually bind the strong man. And you can write this reference down. And if we can actually go back into places and plunder back what the enemy has stolen. So... Part of the kingdom is realizing who you are in the Lord and where your feet want to go and then going back and taking back that plunder that the enemy has stolen. And so realizing where your feet want to go, like do your feet want to go down this path of like maybe you're a, um, an artsy person. Is there anybody who's kind of artsy? Logan, are you kind of artsy? You wear those pink shirts. You're kind of artsy. <laughs> So, what? I don't know. Don't artsy people wear pink shirts? Or salmon? Is that salmon? Uh, oh, yeah, he's a Navy SEAL. I'm proud of that. So, you want to be in the Navy, right? Or you are in the Navy. He actually is in the Navy. He just had his eyebrows. And so, here's the deal, Logan. Right? Like there's is would you say that the um you would you say that the that the navy is the kingdom of gods? Probably not, right? Would you say people are living for the Lord in the Navy? Some definitely not all. Would you say like God's authority and reign and, and, and rule is established in that place? No, probably not. Here's the thing, but your feet are leading you down that place, right? The Lord actually says that I have conquered and, and made victory for you already in this place. You just got to go there and walk with the Lord. Not by strength, but not by might, but by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, 
is by the Lord's Spirit, as the Lord walks through and blazes a trail for you in the Navy, He's going to establish you. He's going to walk with you in that. He's going to put you in places in which you have the opportunity to glorify the Lord. Right? You are going to be establishing God's kingdom in the Navy. Like me and DJ at Java City, it sounds weird, but we want to make drinks for the Lord, right, DJ? That's right. Yeah, we want to make. Uh, yeah, we want to. We want to see Java City be a place, a kingdom of the Lord. And I would say, in some ways, the Lord has established that place, right? We've seen fruit in Java City. We see people like in there reading the Bible now. You know, like uh, we see people celebrating Jesus in that place. Our feet, like I really love making coffee. I just love making coffee. I don't know what it is about it. It's, it's just nice. And, um, and it tastes really good. I don't know what it is. It's like it's an art, it's an artwork in itself, and how you steam the milk, right? And how the espresso comes out, and and how you pour it, and and the temperature, and all these things that people don't realize go into it. It's a labor of love. <laughs> My feet have taken me to this place. And here's the thing. When I get there, I want to be a good worker in that place to honor my father, for one. But also, I want to love the people that, come, that I come into contact with. So that the Java City actually becomes a, a house for the Holy One to be there and, and to meet with people. And as weird as that sounds, that I want the coffee shop to be a place where Jesus' reign is known... It's very true. I want the gospel of the kingdom to be established in that place. And I think Jesus has. In fact, there was a girl who began to proclaim Christ last week uh, from the testimony from Jenna testifying Jesus to her. And, and some different people coming through like Casey and some other girls who have spent some time just testifying Jesus to her. And she came to Christ. And it, we have this amazing opportunity to, to, to see God's rule and reign. And it goes beyond even the transformational language that, that, we're, that we're talking about. Because, because it goes beyond it because in a place like that, we don't necessarily want to deal with um, people's problems can be brought up in that place, right? But it's an atmosphere that's changed, right, DJ? It's an atmosphere of worship that gets changed. And so, yeah, there's people that got problems and there's transformation that needs to take place, but the atmosphere went from a place of being kind of dark in some ways to an atmosphere of where we had the opportunity to set the atmosphere of the kingdom, where we know in the, in the background, like angels and, and, and are worshiping Jesus, and we have the opportunity just to tap into that and see that established in our places of work. It's going to be the same places that, that you know, you guys are established in work. I mean, all of you guys find your, your, yourself to be ministers in the places of your work. Establishing the rule and reign of Jesus. I mean, you think, you think of my, myself, you know, or, or John or, or Kevin or some other people as like ministers in some ways, in some ways elevated. That's not that's not true. Like we're not we're not elevated in any sense. We just like teach the word. And in the same way, you guys are ministers for your places in which you work. 
you're a minister. Like, a minister is not a person that's elevated. It's actually just a person who serves. And so a minister just serves their congregation of people trying to help them tap into a, a, a spiritual place. In fact, the minister is like, a, um, it, some translations would even put it as an under rower, which means like you are under the boat, you are under the boat, well, the one rowing under the ship when they would have that. And so in a sense, we're just helping people get to the places that they're supposed to be. We're just a servant of somebody helping them get to the heavenlies. Helping them tap in. And so in that way, you're establishing the kingdom in a place when you, when you become like Jesus and you become a servant in a place. And the thing about that is, that work is, even though we say you've got this, this step into a place, that work is kind of tedious at times. It is long. I mean, um, the, the scripture even seems to make mention of that um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We'll, we'll, we can turn there. I'll just read it off the screen here. It does seem to be tough at times. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we go to 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so there is this idea that, yeah, we're, we're moving along, we're taking steps of faith, we're, take, we're going where the soles of our feet are taking us, but there's a certain amount of steadfastness that has to be um, worked out in that place. And there's, there's, there is toil in which the, in the place you labor. There is toil where you're laboring, um, laboring through. I mean, you are walking into a place. You're walking and claiming Jesus' um, rule and reign over a place. But that does take, you do get worn out after miles and miles and miles of walking. You know, uh, some of us quicker than others. Uh, it took me a little bit longer going up the hill when we went hiking last time. You know, some of us get, uh, you know, worn out a little quicker than others. Uh, yeah, I was way behind everybody. But, uh, you know, th that thing is tough at times. But there is this thing of just keep on moving through, keep on pressing through. Because God has already claimed the victory in places. God's already claimed the victory in places. It's just where do you take the sole of your feet? And here's the other thing about that. Is, is, is not your work that's doing it. It's just it's Jesus' work that he's done already. Okay? In, in, when they were fighting the battles, and we'll study this some, some other time in Joshua. Joshua, the Lord was in front of them the whole time. Fighting those battles. They weren't fighting the battles. You and I, we're not necessarily fighting those battles. The Lord has done all the, all the battle fighting. We just have the opportunity to step into that. We have the opportunity to move into that. Here's the other thing. Here's, here's the last thing. And maybe I think this is where I'm at at times. And this is probably my biggest struggle. Uh, and it says, you can go forward. You can move forward in this. And wherever the soles of your feet take you, I will give you because the Lord has fought the battle already. He's won it for you. He's done that. It says this. Six. Be strong and courageous. 
For you shall cause for people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I have not commanded you, be strong. I have not uh, commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. So, I understand this concept of going into a place. The Lord has won the victory. The one is, the Lord is taking the soles of my feet to places, right? And he's claiming that place for himself. But here's the hard part, right? Is, or at least for me, being strong and courageous. <clears throat> like that word courageous is like a person of valor. Being strong and courageous is, is not being passive, but actually like, Actually, like stepping into it, stepping into it, and, and actually moving in that faith. So, so the hard part with that is when you're in the world, right? <coughs> Do you struggle with being passive? Yeah, for sure. Like when you're in the world, do you struggle? Like with when somebody's when somebody's like just. Um, just, you know, living for the world, they're cursing up a storm, they're, they're dropping a few um, whatever, you know, um, going on, they're, you know, smoking some pot, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. Do you struggle with being courageous and stepping up and proclaiming the kingdom of a place? Saying, like, this is, this is Jesus' territory? You know, I, I think I do at times. Like when, when places are when places are tough, you know, when, when people are living in the world and I'm by myself sometimes, you know, I, I've been in those places a few times, it can be tough to actually be courageous. I mean, Randy, you probably know about this, right? I'm not picking on you, just the place you work is a hard place, right? You know, I've been there. Zach, right? Being at Boeing, you know, is it tough to proclaim the kingdom in that place? Is it tough to be courageous? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's tough for me here, and this is a Christian school. And here's the thing about being strong and courageous. Being strong and courageous isn't being Mr. Like, tough guy and beating up somebody when he cusses, you know, like, <laughs> shut your mouth. You know, it's not that. Um, because, you know, anyway, like, it's not that at all. It's actually like loving those people really well when they do that stuff. See, it's it, when the person at work cuts you and you walking in humility and saying, okay, I forgive you. That's being strong and courageous. So when you're when you're when you're when you're in that place of just that tough spot, it's actually like living out those fruits of the spirit. Like love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. That's the courageous part. That's the part that is really tough because it's easy to act out of selfishness 
right? And, and then here's the other part of it. Well, being strong and courageous. So when Joshua was going along, I don't know if you remember in uh, Exodus Exodus um, uh, 17 where they had the Amalekites, they're fighting the Amalekites, and every time that Moses' hands would drop, his hands would drop to the, to the ground, they, they would start to lose the battle. Do you all remember that story? And so he gets two men to hold him up. Who is it? I forget. I'm sorry. Is it Joshua and somebody else? Aaron. Aaron? I totally got it wrong. Uh, and somebody else hold, holding up his arms for the battle. But here's the interesting thing at the end of it. It says, I want you to read this story. Joshua's actually down fighting the battle. I'm sorry. In Exodus 17. This just came to my mind. Um, he's down fighting the battle. And... At the end of it, it says, write down these words and recite them to Joshua. Why would he do that? Why would, he res- what, why would they recite these words to Joshua over and over? So like Exodus 17 was probably actually some of the first words that were written uh, um, to Israel. Was probably that Exodus I don't know how people know that stuff, but that's just what I read in some commentaries one time. And so, uh, they, they, and it says, it says, recite this to Joshua. And it goes back to just what we were talking about before. It's not Joshua who's winning the battles. We've constantly got to be reminded of who's fighting the battle for us. And that's what makes us strong and courageous. Being strong and courageous is not being in ourselves saying that we can go out and win these battles. Or I can go out and win this battle. But being strong and courageous is having confidence in the one who can win battles for us. And so as we become confident in that, we go from being passive. Maybe sometimes you say, you say, just like, let the Lord's will be done. You know, or, which is not bad, because scripture says that. Um, But, or, I just open myself up to the, to the Lord in some ways. Or maybe we use language like that sometimes, right? Do we all use language like that sometimes? This, this Lord, do your, do your will. You know? Do you use language like that sometimes? I definitely do. Here's the thing. Noah. Noah on the ark. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. What does Noah actually do? Do you know when the, the dove is circling around him? He reaches out and grabs it. And he takes it for himself takes it back in. What I think the Lord is trying to show in that picture is that you want more of the Holy Spirit, you want to to see more uh, uh, of the enemy territory plundered, you want to be be stronger and more courageous, you need more of the Holy Spirit, but that's not a passive thing. That's a reaching out and grabbing thing. And so, instead of just leaving it up to the Lord, You do leave it up to the Lord. I'm trying to do my language carefully here. The Lord is working it out. But it's not a passive thing in which we walk. He says this in uh, John 16, 33. And then then I'll be done. Worship me. Come on up. Behold, I'll start back in 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you have been scattered. Each 
to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and he's with us right now. And he's even like saying, uh, I think what he's saying to some, some of us is we're probably far too passive in, in our response to the Lord. Instead of just reaching out and grabbing hold and taking hold of the things that the victories that, that God has won, we sit back on them sometimes. We let them loose. Oswald Chambers, when he was praying to the Lord, this is a, this is a hard prayer. He, he was praying about whether or not he should be a minister. And he's struggling through it. He's up on a mountain. It's one of the most audible times he, he, he thought he ever heard the Lord. And he said, and he said, and he said, I want you to be a minister, but I don't need you. He was, he, what he was saying was, victories. We just need to be a 